political questions now, Mr. Diefenbaker. What's going to happen in the West? What's going to happen in the West? Are you going to have a oh, good... I, I never make predictions, but uh, in Western Canada, the situation is such uh, that everybody realizes uh, that Mr. Trudeau doesn't give a tinker's damn for Western Canada. And uh, they haven't lost sight of the fact that his whole attitude throughout has been one of contemptuous disregard of the equality rights of our Western province. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Diefbeck. And now to John Drury. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast, the Hockey Podcast. I am your co-host, Danny, and hanging out with me today is March. We're switching gears a bit for this episode, taking a breather from the NHL and the sports scene to explore something totally different. Earlier this year, we chatted about summer festivals and dived into the world of movies and TV shows. And guess what? We've got more of those cool episodes lined up. But for today, we're shaking things up and digging deeper into the world of politics, Canadian politics to be exact. I am so excited and honored to have one of our guests today. Uh, her name is Jennifer L. She's a proud Indigenous Canadian covering politics and Indigenous affairs. I've been following Jennifer for quite some time now, and I appreciate her content so much. It's seriously eye-opening each time I watch or read one of her posts. I hope you give her a follow and judge for yourself. You'll be doing yourself a favor as far as I'm concerned. The way she brings her topics and explains them to the audience is unique and captivating to say the least. So settle in, get ready for the episode. Um, it's packed for with a lot of fun and unique insights. And if you enjoyed this episode, show someone, show some su support to us by giving us a follow as well on all our major social media platforms at C2CTHP. Now passing the mic to my co-host, March, so we can get started. March, how are you doing, man? Oh, you're probably pretty relieved that uh, you passed the mic over to me. That was a really good intro. Yeah, um, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing okay. I'm doing really good. Um, obviously, when was our last episode? Um, was it last probably week? two weeks ago. Yeah, probably. I, <laughs> I'm, I've lost track of time. I've... I've been good. Obviously, you know some things about what's going on in my life with my car and stuff like that. So yeah. slowly figuring things out. However, I'm very excited for this episode. For me, this is as much as we want to do. Um, we want to learn more about hockey. To me, this episode is a real learning curve for myself. I am interested in sitting down and listening to um, obviously you're very enticed by this. I think you're going to front run this really well. You're the host today. I'm the co-host, but I'll try and help you as much as I can. I am very interested in some of the topics we have lined up. Um, but without further ado, I guess um, we can pass over the mic to Jennifer. Jennifer, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I just thought, so I can get us started here. So curious, and this is just based on what you feel um, is appropriate for you to share. Um, just curious. So your socials. So where can we find you? Um, in terms of uh, platforms and what your social ads would be. Yeah, I am on TikTok as Jennifer L underscore. Same handle, Jennifer L um, underscore on Twitter. And I think I might be Jennifer L two underscores on Instagram. And that's pretty much it for what I use for social media. Okay, are you mainly on TikTok? Would you say that's your main platform that you get a um, lot of viewership? I would I would say I definitely started on Twitter and then kind of moved over to TikTok. Um, mm -hmm. I make video content on TikTok, but I'm far more um, active on Twitter. Okay, fair. Like all of us. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm curious. So just curious. So whereabouts are you in Canada and what's your educational background and what do you do for work if you're okay with sharing any of that stuff? Ooh, that's a tough question. So I am from Northern Saskatchewan. My nation is in Southern Saskatchewan. Um, mm -hmm. My education okay. background is kind of a long history. I um, started in university taking my Bachelor of Education, decided at the, in the last year I did not want to teach. Um, had a dream to go into politics, but wasn't sure where to apply that. Took a political studies class in my fourth year and decided I actually like this. So um, went into political science, took a BA three-year, um, then went on to take my four-year BA and took two proficiency certificates in the meantime, and then went on to graduate and postdoctoral studies at the University of Saskatchewan. 
Wow, that's and, really nice. I- yeah, and then as far as for work, I am a consultant. I'm an indigenous strategist working between nations and government relations. Um, and that's a whole wide range of things that I do. But I would say that my my biggest priority with my my job is working with nations. Okay, interesting. I, I really do kind of touch base with that uh, idea of like, you know, getting interested in politics, especially when you're kind of going through school. Personally, myself, like when I was doing my degree, um, I needed to take liberal studies uh, in my first year. And so one of the things I really focused on was criminology and politics. And I love politics, but a lot of it was American politics or world politics. So it didn't really focus a whole lot on Canadian. It's funny, I did do a Canadian politics course and that was really focused on oh what is the house of commons and i was like well this is like when i was in elementary <laughs> it's like so anyways i found american politics so much interesting or more interesting and i find that it is um i mean you see that a lot in in canada too like everyone kind of follows that and it's like a well that's a different show anyways but today we're focusing on this i'm just curious so how did exactly so you kind of mentioned it but how exactly did you get started in politics but also media content creation Um, So I originally obviously had a dream of being in politics, but didn't know where to start. In my early Mm -hmm. 20s, I had shown some interest in in politics in general, but wasn't really sure how to apply that. Um, Took a big leap of faith when I took a degree in political science because I did not grow up around politics. I did not have friends that were political. I knew nothing. So I started kind of from the ground up from there. And then right out of university, my local MP hired me. Um, took a shot on this small town indigenous kid and showed me the ropes mm-hmm. and how things work. And when I started, I did not know anything. I didn't know um, what a statement by member was. I didn't know a whole bunch of things uh, on how our daily mm-hmm. um, political workings um, happen. So, yeah, that's kind of how it all kicked off. And then just taught myself a whole lot about how the government works and stuff like that. Well, if you're passionate about it, I think you end up. Well, I, I I won't really speak to for myself my own profession that whether I consider it a job, but sometimes I have a lot of fun learning because I consider it a lifelong learning for myself. But I feel like in your shoes, obviously, kind of teaching yourself and learning and learning, and learning. Like I play alto saxophone. I like to compare that to a lot of things. It's where like I was really passionate about learning this stuff, and I had no one teach me. I just learned myself. And if you're passionate about something, I feel like it's a lot easier to actually go in and spend the time and the energy to learn. Um, you mentioned a few things there that I have no idea what they mean. So <laughs> I can't wait. For so I'm <laughs> yeah, right, Danny. So anyways, enough of me, Danny. Do you have any uh, questions? I just want to know. Um, so so I know. Well, it's kind of I'm kind of cheating here a little bit, guys, because I've I've been uh, obviously following her for a long time. So I know a few answers to these questions. But I think for the benefit of the audience, we want to know what's your overall mission, Jennifer, um, and you know what what do you uh, what are you up to usually uh, in your day to day? My overall mission, I would say, with doing what I do, would be to be creating a path for not just Indigenous people that want to get involved in politics, but applying that self-determination. So having the right to sit where I do politically, um, owning my right to have opinions and stuff like that, but making sure that other people can see someone maybe with a larger platform doing it and, and not being apologetic about it. And yeah. And in my day-to-day, um, life, it's hard to say how I apply that because, um, I make content creation, but that's just a hobby. Um, my job is to work with nations and prioritize their their priorities and make sure that they're being heard at their local level and that that relationship between nations and government is looked after. That's fantastic. Um, so let's uh, let's uh, let's do a crash course here for our audience. Uh, and and to be honest with you, beginning with myself here, um, contrary to March, I I've never I'm from Montreal originally, uh, Jennifer. So. Um, Back home, at least where I where I had the the I went through private school. Um, secondary classes, I would say, were mainly like uh, morale and and journalism and uh, drama, you know, like acting and stuff like that. So it was never about politics. Um, so maybe some of the things that March has had in school uh, were kind of basic. I did not have that, and I can speak for maybe a, a portion of the of the Quebec um, uh, population there. So for me, Canadian politics was just a blind spot completely. 
And up until like I found your platform and I started really like consuming everything that you produce on TikTok, that I really started to get a, at least a sense of understanding of what's happening right now. Um, so if you don't mind, can you like, I don't know how you want to structure this, but can you give us a little bit of a, a politic, Canadian politics 101, the basics? Um, you know, like what's the difference between that and the, and the ones in the, we see in the movies with the U.S.? Uh, what are like common things to know, like Parliament and House of Commons and things like that? I'll, I'll I'll give you the mic for this. Oh, that's tough. That's a big, big conversation. I know. Um, yeah. Kind of difficult to get into without being asked specific questions, but I think just understanding the different um, branches of government in Canada, knowing um, federal, provincial, municipal. Um, you know, depending on where you live, you might have an MLA or an MP. Um, but it, my focus is primarily um, federal issues, especially being Indigenous. A lot of my issues fall federally. Um, understanding how the government works, the departments. Um, you know, we have 338 seats that are occupied by MPs across Canada, and we're currently in a minority government, um, meaning that the Liberals did not have the seats necessary to form a, a majority government. So relying on that confidence and supply deal with the NDP. Um, yeah, there's a lot going into it. I think if if I'm asked specific questions, it's easier to answer because sure. politics is, is a very, very wide spectrum of, of, of moving parts and it's hard to break it all down. Um, so what is, what is, this, what is a, uh, like the parliament and what is the house of commons? Is it the same thing? Yes. Yeah, so parliament is essentially just like, Parliament, right? Like, uh, okay. it's kind of hard to explain, but <laughs> our House of Commons is like, I, I think of the House of Commons as the chamber. So um, where all of our MPs meet to discuss policy legislation and to vote on it accordingly. And then we also have the Senate. So um, we have members that sit in the Senate and the process for a senator to be um, put in those seats is a little bit different than an MP. Um, and then we, of course, have like the different levels. So we have the prime minister, we have the official opposition leader, um, and then we have um, the cabinet and, and stuff like that. So. And what is the role of the uh, speaker of the house? Uh, so the speaker is there primarily to supposed to be a nonpartisan role, but essentially to moderate. Um, I always look at the speaker as a moderator of the House of Commons. So they're the ones who facilitate um, the day-to-day -day agenda in the House of Commons. Okay. And what is, in your opinion, or at least, well, factually speaking, or your opinion, uh, the true power of a prime minister? Oh, that's tough. Um, at the end of the day, I, I always think of the prime minister is the main minister, right? So um, they're going to be the one that leads their cabinet. They're going to be the ones that make the decisions at the top that they would like to see um for for their government they're going to give their their cabinets um their cabinet members um like their mandate letters things that they'd like to see out of the government um and the cabinet while they're sitting um i would say it de it definitely depends on which government is in power because sometimes there's a lot of power that lies within the pmo which is the prime minister's office um traditionally there's been prime ministers that have put a lot of faith into their cabinets um, I know P, um, the PMO right now under Justin Trudeau, there's a lot of power in the PMO's office, meaning his chief of staff and his main advisors um, hold a lot of power. So, Really, because I, the, the reason why I'm asking for this is, you know, like in the, again, in the U.S., where my most of my information about politics is uh, where it lies, um, we know like the, the uh, he's the chief commander in chief, he's got the, uh, the security of the country under his belt, he's got... Uh, uh, he can veto some laws. He can do a few things. Uh, he obviously is a commander in chief for the army and all of these things. But, uh, you know, when we want to, a lot of, um, when people want to just put a name uh, or put a face to the blame, uh, they usually go to the PM directly. And that's why I wanted to know, like, if, if he, does he really have any powers to do anything? Um, that's kind of why I was asking. So. Well, yes and no. Like, you have to think about it as a cabinet and and not only a cabinet, but all the MPs that sit within that party are going to look to the PMO for advice and direction. And the same mm -hmm. happens with opposition parties as well. I know the Conservative Party being in opposition, they have a whip as well, meaning that's the one that's kind of not in control, but they're the ones that are going to set up like who's speaking when and that sort of thing. 
at the end of the day, every MP is allowed to vote on legislation and bills that are going through the House of Commons. But you often hear, well, a vote was whipped, meaning um, the whip is going to decide, okay, this is how you need to be voting as a party to make sure that we pass this bill sort of thing. Um, and then I some, see. And then some are, are free vote, right? So you can vote accordingly. I know the opposition party right now is a little bit more favorable to votes of conscience. So things on like social issues and stuff like that, they let their members kind of vote accordingly. Okay. How about you, March? Does that all make sense to you? Uh... Yeah, I, I did have a question. Yeah, <laughs> I did have a question. So Canada uses first past the post voting system, correct? Um, yeah. Um, so first past the <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's a, like, so I know here how we are. our votes work, but like, I've never actually like gone a deep dive on like first. It, yeah. Oh, deep dive. That's a word we use around here. <laughs> um, is our <laughs> first past the post. So first past the post is winner take all voting system. So I I don't know exactly how it works in the United States, but I feel like it's been like because like okay, so you'll have the say like country broken up into a hundred percent, and then like uh, so hundred percent voters, and then forty percent vote for blue, and thirty percent vote for yellow, and twenty percent vote for purple or whatever. But the forty percent wins, but that's not the majority of the country. So obviously, it's been something that's you know been up for debate, and that was something I believe Justin Trudeau had had said that he would like to take away. However, obviously, it's been working in his favor. Um, so I, if if you don't have an opinion on it, or or I don't know if you might have an opinion on it, but I. Personally, don't know what alternatives there are. I don't know what they use necessarily in the United States. I, I, I've always looked at the United States and said that they voted for the person, not voting for the person in their writing. However, um, at the same time, in the United States, it's kind of like okay, red, blue, and then, but our, you know, our provinces are broken up into all these different things. So, I don't know. I, do you have any opinion on that in terms of the voting system, or just kind of like what, whatever? <laughs> Yeah, it's a little tough just because with the first past the post system, um, the person that wins the seat might not be representative of, of what the overall um, mm -hmm. overall riding wanted, right? So yeah, and I know Trudeau came in and promised electoral reform until he figured out about probably six months into his term that if he did that, he was going to lose the next election. <laughs> and you know, yeah. like we see. Things like the popular vote in Canada, where the Conservatives have won the popular vote the last two elections. Um, but that might be because we have so many strong Conservatives coming out in Saskatchewan and Alberta that they're voting in droves. Um, so they had more votes than the Liberals. But mm -hmm. it is kind of it is kind of alarming that more Canadians wanted a different government than what they got. Um, but that's just unfortunately the way it works. I guess we saw that. In the, I mean, I was comparing... I was saying there was a difference with the United States, and I, I do. There is probably a difference, but I mean, we've seen the popular vote in the United States as well. Um, I forgot the last one. I don't. Maybe it was. I don't think it was Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Maybe it was Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. But um, there was, you know. So maybe, maybe it's very similar to more than I think. But at the same time, I don't know. I've I've been out of the game for some time here in terms of politics. So. Oh well, we'll see. We'll see what uh, what changes actually do come up. But for the most part, I don't think any anything as of as of yet. Considering if, especially if you do win with this kind of uh, voting system, uh, why change it? So, yeah. Anyways, Danny, this is good. Um, so one of the one of the playlists that you have on your TikTok, uh, Jennifer, is um, is Politics 101. It's a series. I, I don't know if it's called a playlist or a series, whatever it's called. Um, you have a you have a series of of TikToks that you publish on on your account, um, and it's all politics 101. So uh, obviously we wanted to have a quick overview of how politics worked in Canada, and maybe we can circle back to this later on in the episode. Uh, but I invite our audience to go check out uh, Jennifer's account, and this is where she see uh, you can see uh, politics 101. Uh, anything else you want to mention, Jennifer, on politics 101 that you have? Um, no, just that that's my series where I kind of break down the more um, complex issues that m most people might not know about, like how nominations work and private members bills and that sort of thing. Perfect. 
Um, so earlier I alluded to the fact that when when things are wrong, when things uh, are pressuring the the citizens and um, and and people are looking for someone to blame, uh, they, they usually turn to the party or the, or the PM. Um, I wanted to kind of quickly, and this is the the interesting part for those that don't follow politics at all. I mean, you'd be surprised by the number of people that are just proud to say, "I don't follow politics." Yeah, but man, this is impacting your own life. Like, you you might as well follow what's 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 going on. This is the one of the main reasons why I'm so passionate about this episode and, and your and your account. Um, so talk to us a little bit about uh, recent noteworthy events, just to show people uh, the magnitude of the things that are happening, maybe that they're just not aware of. Um, I'll give you some pointers here, and if you have new ones that you want to add as well, uh, please please uh, please do. Um, economic pressures, like right now, we're seeing on multiple fronts, uh, CERB repayments that are due for for people, and people are struggling with that. Uh, housing crisis is no new is no news uh, for you, I think. Um, inflation, uh, interest rates, all of these things. Um, how do you feel about economic pressures? Oh, yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, cost of living is out of control. And I think one, like I go back to you saying uh, some people don't care about politics. And to be honest with you, my, my patience with people that think it's cool to not care about things that are yeah. these lives is, is next to none. Yeah. Um, I think you have to come from a fairly privileged position to not care about the things that affect our country. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can I could go to our shopping center right now where our Walmart and Superstore and stuff like that are, and I could probably count um, within minutes over a dozen homeless people sitting on the sidewalks trying to get food, trying to get money, whatever they yeah. need to yeah. survive. And I like I said, I live in northern Saskatchewan. It's extremely cold here. Um, there has been people that have died on the streets here. And what's concerning is that we're seeing shelters and um, food banks saying that the that the need for them is is increasing but I go on Twitter or whatever and I see some MPs just fighting with one another or fighting about petty things that don't matter and it's just like, like holy man like this is yeah it's 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 a lot yeah the reality check to be honest I, I know exactly what you're talking about because you, you post some of them some of those uh, clips uh yeah I, I get it it's a uh, for myself, I mean, personally speaking, uh, you know, I think any adult or, or or a household is feeling the pressures right now. And um, I make a good living, but at the same time, even then, like it's just bigger salary, bigger problems or bigger bills. So, um, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is uh, maybe not the, the most, well, this is the most shocking one, I, I guess. It's um, when uh, Yaroslav Hanka was celebrated in parliament. Uh, that whole scandal that happened you want to tell us you want to tell the audience uh, uh, what happened there right so essentially what had happened is we invited in the um, president of ukraine and we honored a ss um, waffen soldier who is a known nazi in the house of commons and i think the like that issue was an issue in itself um do I think that all of the MPs were aware that was happening? No, I don't. Oh, of course time, not. Do I think they even know who they were clapping for? No. I mean, at the end of the day, it's mob rule, right? They probably stood up and were like, oh, yeah, okay. And then afterwards, we're like, oh, my God. But I think the issue is that the conversation that happened afterwards really annoyed me because there were so many people saying, well, this isn't the prime minister's fault. It's entirely the speaker's fault because the prime minister didn't know. And it's like, yeah, but that's the problem. We brought in a president of a war, a country that is at war right now. He needs some of the highest security detail that Canada was able to offer when he got here. And you mean to tell me that we only honored one person before we introduced him and you did not vet who that person was. That's what you're telling me. Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't understand how you make excuses for something like that. And I mean, partisanship is getting out of control anyway, but... I just don't understand how everyone on the political spectrum can come together and be like, oh, my God, this shouldn't have happened, rather than doubling down and trying to make excuses as to why it happened. And especially the way that it was discovered online, like it went viral. And um, again, maybe I'm categorizing here, but when I say like you can just Google it and find out the information. But no, I I totally get like your your point of view is so more... um, 
so much more uh, accurate because those security details, what are they for anyways, if they're not vetting who's close to those presidents and prime ministers, you know, so right. completely unacceptable what happened there. Did you know about that, Marsh? Um, yeah, I didn't know who exactly the name was, but I did yeah. see that happen. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I'm just currently just looking at it right now. Apparently, uh, well, and I, you know, I'm not going to get into that, um, but it's, yeah. yeah, it's pretty shocking considering, <laughs> I mean, I mean, this uh, kind of yeah. person, right? Polyev came out and he said, like, this is one of the, the most embarrassing things at an international level, immediately got tied down to, um, uh, foreign affairs and the, and the foreign policy that we have in Canada, and it was just an embarrassment. Um, but the, the shocking thing, just to to Jennifer's point about what happened, the conversations after that, uh, this ended up costing the speaker's house, uh, uh, the speaker of the house's job, and he was replaced because of this. Mm. Interesting. Okay, um, <laughs> let's stay on the on the scandals uh, theme here for quite a, for a little <laughs> bit of here. Um, next one is one of my favorites, mainly because I'm an IT person. Um, it is an, it's about it's about the Arrive Can app. Um, this is one of your favorites. Uh, I've, I've seen so much of your content on this one, Jennifer. Um, you want to tell us more about this one? Yeah. So essentially, the government of Canada developed an app um, for Canadians to use during the pandemic. Um, it was not optional. It was mandatory. Uh, Canadians returning home to Canada needed to fill out their customs declaration and their vaccine information. Um, there were questions raised about the, um, I guess, the efficiency of the app and the cost of it. Um, right from the get-go, there was some shadiness going on there. And I'm not somebody that goes down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories. I usually kind of wait until the full picture is in front of me for me to be able to dissect it. Um, however, mm -hmm. yeah, like there were some weird things happening. Like there were so many rev positive reviews on yeah, it before I saw it had even been like widely used, like more positive reviews than Uber. Like, come on. Yeah. And <laughs> there were like, yeah. And then it came out that we spent $54 million to develop this app. And anyone that's used a RadCam knows it's not some big extravagant app by any means. I, I used it, um, yeah. Well, and like at first I was like, okay, like it does have its benefits. Like being able to upload your customs declaration via app is actually genuinely a pretty decent idea as long as you're maintaining that people are able to use um, paper forms if they wish. Um, so that I was like, okay, that's not a bad idea. But $54 million and then I'm watching committees and most people don't yeah. watch committees because they don't care. But these guys are being questioned on the development of this app and they're skirt tailing around answering questions. At one point, Larry Brock, who's a conservative MP, was like, well, you said you didn't hang out at this guy's cottage. And he's like, that's because it's not called a cottage. It's called a chalet, like just completely <laughs> dunking on our government, making us look stupid. And they don't even work. I think they subcontracted out the yeah, app they, or something yeah, and they sit yeah. on a board like they're like, yeah, we run the board. Like, it's just, it's so shady. And everyone's like, well, whatever. What's another day and another 54 million? Like, at this point, who cares? Yeah. And March issue, uh, Jennifer was showing, like, um, uh, the App Store. The Apple uh, App Store was, like, uh, I think it was, like, uh, five stars with 700,000 700, uh, uh, <laughs> positive reviews. That's where that 54 stuff. million went, eh? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's where that money went. I used that app twice, and that was for going over the border via yeah. car. And not once was it checked. Uh, and uh, I just said, "What the? What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> if you're not even gonna bother, what's the point? And if you're spending that much money, I didn't know actually that was the price tag. And but I do remember. I it's funny. I'm glad you mentioned this because I do remember the <laughs> the, the whole thing about the reviews. Like, come on. <laughs> like, yeah. Even right anyways. now, the. Um... Uh, the R the RCMP is investigating this, and they have like a formal investigation into this. So we'll, we'll see. Mm. I, I just thought that was an entertaining thing. I mean, uh, not so much with the uh, with the uh, with the guy in the parliament, but uh, this one was entertaining, I guess. It's not very funny to to lose fifty four million on nothing, but um, <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, we lose enough. Anyways, um, a slightly less fun one is uh, is made, uh, Jennifer. Um, it is a topic of discussion right now. Things are moving on that front. Yeah. Um, 
medical assistance and dying is kind of a touchy subject for me because most people know I had a sibling pass away via maid in 2018. Um, I think one of the biggest issues, like, we we got the maid legislation because the government needed to come out with legislation to satisfy a court ruling, Carter versus Canada, um, where essentially the court ruled that it was unconstitutional for a doctor to be charged for ending a life um, mm-hmm. if somebody was suffering. Okay, so Jody Wilson-Raybould, um, when she was the attorney general, came out with that legislation and that was that. Liberal government since then has decided that they wanted to expand that legislation and essentially make Canada the most lax laws when it comes to assisted suicide across the board. And so now we're seeing that they want to expand to include people with mental illness and also disabilities. And they initially wanted to expand that legislation and a bunch of experts were like, this is a terrible idea. Like, you don't know all the facts. Do not do this. So what had happened is they pushed back that expansion date to March of 2024, I believe. However, all of those same experts are still saying, do not do this. We're seeing disability groups. Um, I know, I think it's uh, IDS, I think is the acronym. It's an Indigenous Disability Group out of um, BC. They're an advocacy group. They've been very, very vocal about this. I think one of the biggest issues is that you have those people that, number one, love their party and love anything their party does. And then you also have the super, super, um, I don't know how to word them, but they're the people that think that they're like sparing dignity to people. And that's the thing is made was intended to spare dignity. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister chose dignity in the end. However, how much dignity are we giving people if we're not expanding resources to addictions and mental health and those living with disabilities, but we're expanding the access they have to die? That's where my issue comes in with it is yeah. I understand the dignity component, but how are we not going to have those necessary supports in place and make them easy to access, but make dying easy to access? That's my problem with that. Right. Yeah, I mean, you make an excellent point and it's very, very sad to hear. And, and it's honestly, it's outrageous. But um, what caught my eye about this is also, again, in Quebec, mainly because I follow the news there, even though if I'm living in, in Calgary now, um, hearing about, look, it's no secret that in Quebec we get bad health care. Uh, I'm very lucky here in Calgary that things are really, really quick and, and uh, efficient. But um, back home, uh, I hear all the time about this program being offered as a, hey, you want you want to get treatment or you want made? Uh, and, uh, and people are often, like, they know the consequences of being dragged down the uh hospital lobbies and stuff like that and endless tests and so they just go with the maid and i found that completely um unacceptable so uh very very sad i don't know if you knew about that as well you you probably did right so yeah yeah there's been lots coming out about like it being pushed on veterans and we knew that was going to happen but i think the problem was that the opposition at the time were warning that this would be a slippery slope but because people don't like conservatives and they don't like the opposition, they're like, ah, it'll be fine. And now we have literally descended down that slippery slope. Yeah, it's true. Um, last one I want to bring up, unless you want to add more. But uh, <laughs> this one is, is a little bit of, uh, again, this is the a prime example of why these things need attention and why need people need to be paying attention to those things because they impact our lives directly. Um, for myself, for my property and my other property as well, uh, obviously I pay for heating bills and utility bills and the, the whole uh, carbon tax uh, uh, breaks that, that was announced by Trudeau for uh, the people on, on the east side of, of the country, uh, the east coast, um, that that also created a whole wave of, uh, of um, you know, I'll, I'll let you describe it if you want, Jennifer, but uh, that whole thing created a, an unwanted or something that we didn't really need at this time. I guess it's good for uh, the next election uh, as talking points, but I I think uh, you want to just tell the audience uh, what happened there? Yeah, so essentially we saw a Liberal MP from Atlantic Canada voting against their party um, a couple months ago. Ken McDonald, I believe his name is. He's also the one that gave the finger in the house, allegedly. Um, But there started to be rumors that there was pressure from the Atlantic caucus to do something because they are all going to lose their seats and their popularity is dropping rapidly. Mm -hmm. So we saw an announcement from the prime minister, I'd say that was probably about a month ago, saying that they were going to introduce um, a pilot project and some carve out exemptions on the carbon tax. So carbon tax is one of Trudeau's biggest policies. 
since forming government, his price on pollution. And those exemptions kind of weakened that policy. So essentially what they're saying is if you use home heating oil um, to heat your home, you are going to be exempt from paying the carbon tax for the next three years. And they're also going to give you a grant to purchase a heat pump. And obviously this was geared more towards Atlantic Canada where um, the primary, not, not the primarily amount of people, but I think most people there use home heating oil um, as opposed to other provinces in Canada. And then we saw one of the ministers go on national TV and say, well, yeah, the Atlantic caucus was very vocal because people were upset. So we had to come up with something to satisfy them. And then (laughs) said, well, why doesn't Western Canada vote in liberals if they don't like um, the policies that they're getting, which was not well received. And then um, now we're seeing liberals literally gaslighting Canadians, to put it nicely, saying, well, you know what, this exemption and this grant is available to everyone. The conservatives are just lying to you. It's like, yeah, but if 0.2% of the population in Saskatchewan uses home heating oil, how does that help us? Literally 1,700 Saskatchewan residents, from the last Stats Canada report that I could get, 1,700 Saskatchewan residents are using that. So don't tell mm. me that it's available across the across the country when you know damn well that it's geared towards Atlantic Canadians and you're trying to save seats. That's right. I mean that that whole thing, and and then you know the aftermath of of all of that is is other prime min uh, well ministers is it prime ministers? I'm sorry, I, I don't know the, the exact term here, but uh, basically Premier. we saw the premiers. Sorry, yes, thank you. Um, the premier of uh, of um, of Saskatchewan came out and said, "Hey, look, uh, we're gonna sus- tell uh, Sask tell Sask Energy, I think it's called. Uh, we're gonna tell them to stop collecting it um, starting January first. If we don't get the same break, and then uh, Danielle Smith came out explaining that ah, I can't really do that, but I'm on the same boat. And it's just like it created this whole vague, uh, this whole vague. That's a French word for wave, by the way, uh, vague. So uh, this whole it created this whole wave of 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 just you know unwanted uh, issues and then the dividing Canadians I think so yeah um, um yeah uh, go ahead. just quickly I want I want to use this as a platform to uh, complain about my gas bill um <laughs> uh, yeah it's crazy because I I just looked at it it's 158 um and it the cost of gas so what you paid in gas was like 28 dollars. Like it's, and it's a carbon tax was like 38 and like all these other fees and transportation and stuff like, holy mackerel, man. Like I understand things cost money, but at the same time, you think we'd be paying enough taxes to not like, you know, have me charge for the gas going through a pipe. I, I, anyways, that's just me. It's a little rant, but like I did look, I, I don't really focus on the bills too much because I get them online, but that's also the positive of, of not getting paper for the con of not getting paper copies anymore. But I decided to look and I was like, oh, wow. So I should really be paying 28, but I'm paying. Um, I don't know how much that would be, but probably like uh, 500% more. Anyways, rant over. Danny. <laughs> yep. Um, so time is really flying by. So I really want to go quickly here because I, I really want to get to the second uh, part of this this interview. So um, which is for me, the important parts. That's why I left it for the for the end here. But. Um, so upcoming changes in the political landscape. Um, we don't have to do much, dive too much into this, uh, Jennifer, but uh, what are your expectations uh, in terms of uh, a change there? Um, I think we're going to see an election in 2024. Um, right now we're seeing the NDP really um, making b- big decisions on their confidence and supply deal. They just had their NDP convention think it was last month where they voted in favor of pulling out of the confidence and supply deal if the pharmacare legislation did not satisfy their wants. And then we saw today that it was reported in the news that the first draft of that pharmacare legislation did not satisfy the NDP. So mm-hmm. the liberal government's going to have to fix that and fix that quick. Um, but now, I mean, they're doing a tailspin, right? Like they're essentially coming forward with major, major things that the liberals would have never put forward, like pharmacare and dental care just to save their seats. Um, so if the NDP get what they want out of it, I can't see them pulling out um, because if they hand Pierre Polly of a majority, they're going to get nothing out of it. Yeah. Um, 
But at the same time, like, you can only sustain this amount of, like, unpopularity for a certain amount of time before you have to pull the plug. That's right. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that, to seeing what's what's going to happen there. Um, maybe maybe I, I, I let loose here a little bit my opinion, but okay. Um, so for, for those that are listening as well, so we talked a little bit earlier about the a series uh, Politics 101 on TikTok that Jennifer does. There's another series as well that she talks about what is going on in Canadian politics. Um, I strongly encourage you to go watch and lose, uh, listen to those. She, it's, I think it's your most recent series, and you, you like that one. You, you, may, you put a lot of humor in that one as well. So, um, um, yeah. Okay. Um, the next topic and the most important topic I wanted to bring is, is obviously the indigenous part um, of your work. Um, I do have to give a disclaimer here because, again, I mentioned I'm from Montreal and I. I grew up just like everyone else in that over there, and I went through the school system and the the education system there. Um, I recently was on a space, Jennifer, with Marich, and I was talking to a few people, some of them in Montreal, and I just for fun, because I knew that I was preparing for this episode, and I just asked one of them, I knew he was in Montreal, so I just asked him, hey, what do you know about indigenous uh, people and, and that whole that whole topic? And he was, uh, he was very... You know, unsure about what to say. He had no idea where to start. Um, no idea whatsoever about that whole topic. And this is really a reflection of, of at least people in Montreal, in my opinion. Again, I don't want to generalize, but uh, it's not something that is taught in schools. Um, and now that I live in on the West Coast, I'm seeing a lot more presence in that. Um, so I wanted to give, kind of to give a disclaimer that this is a topic I am slowly and increasingly respecting more and 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 being more passionate about, but I really don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to that. So if I apologize in advance, if I ever say anything offensive or ignorant um, or ask you like a stupid question. So um, this is my little disclaimer here. Um, do you mind uh, telling us kind of the basics of what we need to know about the indigenous community in Canada? Right. So it's a very, very diverse um, community. I think of the umbrella term Indigenous refers to First Nations, Métis, and Inuit. Um, And then obviously below First Nations, again, we're super diverse. So different tribes across Canada, Cree being one of the biggest, if not the biggest, I believe. Um, And I am Cree. I come from a Cree background. Um, And then you have like the Dakota people. And then you go to Eastern Canada and you have the Mi'kmaq. So we're all Um, fairly diverse Um, and our relationship with one another is unique I mean you know we're not we don't all come from the same set of ideas although we kind of have the same end goals it seems Um, but yeah our teachings our our ceremonial practices things like that are going to differ depending on the community and where you come from and what is exactly like um, the difference between a treaty and land um, or a tribe or you know, you mentioned people, like, uh, are these all the same things or? Uh, well, treaties were agreements that were signed with the crown um, in exchange for certain things. So our treaty agreements are quite complex. I don't think I have the time to go through all of so. that. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I, I look as if you overlook at what a treaty is, is when, when we signed the treaties, well, not we, I wasn't there, but um, <laughs> it was essentially an agreement, right, to live in harmony and in peace on the land and, and share this space. Um, but in return, that would mean that our treaty obligations were upheld, which has been an ongoing battle since the beginning of time, essentially. Right. Um, and for myself, like I was trying to do a little bit of research as well, I fell up uh, upon a website um, it's called native-land.ca, and it shows you like all these different, um, it, again, the territories. Yeah, it's a good, mm-hmm. it's a good, I don't know if you've seen that, you know what I'm talking about, but uh, it's a good exercise to go take a look at that just to understand the different uh, reach, uh, territories. Um, right. Okay. I, I had a question just quickly. So it's something we wanted to talk about in terms of the basics. Um, First Nations or um, the terms in, in terms of terminology, First Nations, Indigenous, and Aboriginal. Um, do you like? I don't want to say, hey, which one's right, but I am gonna kind of ask that. 
is there a specific terminology or because you know what I mean? Like I've, I see those three terminal and using articles, all sorts of things. And I'm just curious whether they all mean the same or something's specifically meant for um, like something specifically meant for the terminology. Um, I think it really depends who you ask. I think indigenous is the most safe because indigenous is again, that umbrella term that's going to cover first nations, Métis, and Inuit. Um, mm-hmm. You don't really hear Aboriginal used as much anymore, although it's it's kind of phasing out. Um, okay. And then I guess if you if like I I refer to myself usually as Indigenous or First Nations because I'm not Métis. I have Métis family, but I'm not Métis, and I'm not Inuit. I'm a distinct um, group of people. So yeah, I guess it really just depends on who you ask. And I mean, okay. the language thing is confusing for us too, right? Because we're not given a handbook <laughs> on like what to call yeah. Animals. Yeah, that's fair. No, that's good. No, thank you for that. Because I, I was curious as well. Like you said, I don't really see Aboriginal uh, as much anymore, but I do see it sometimes. And obviously, some people, especially those in, you know more quote unquote old school, will use uh, different terminology as well. And so it's good to, for me to also know so I can educate some of my family. <laughs> that's a good question, March. Thanks for asking that. Um, so when I introduced you in the beginning as Indigenous Canadian, is that like, uh, is that contradictory? Is that uh, a wrong thing to say? No, that's all good. Okay, so you yeah, can. Nice. Is it because it's two different things? You're indigenous and Canadian. Well, or indigenous person like is a some Canadian. People, some people are not gonna like being called indigenous Canadian, or like, you know what I mean? Because there's some people that believe it undermines their sovereignty, and I am completely yeah. respectful of that. Um, for me, I love being a Canadian and I love being Indigenous and I am an Indigenous Canadian. So, Okay, good. All right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I just wanted to make sure I didn't offend you there. Okay. I, I, uh, I just want to quickly say, because um, we will talk a little, little bit of hockey later, but I, from just to go off of what Jennifer's saying here, there was a little bit of a thing on Twitter talking about how it is quite contradictory for the Edmonton. I think it was the Edmonton Oilers. I don't recall exactly. It was might have been their home opener or something like that. And they did a uh, land acknowledgement and then they followed it with O Canada. And that's, you know, you know what I mean? Like it is a bit contradictory in, in, in a way, because how could you do a land acknowledgement and then sing this this song talking about God and, and thy sons and all this stuff. So I just I just think it like that. But at the same time, obviously, to each their own. Um, but it's good that she kind of explained that. Anyways, keep going, Danny. That's good. So what are uh, common myths and misconceptions about Indigenous people? <laughs> Where should I begin? Mm. Um, and keep in mind, guys, this is episode one with Jennifer. There's a series of uh, 12 <laughs> volumes coming out here uh, in a theater <laughs> near you. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, there's a lot. Like when I think of misconceptions, I always think of like some of the comments that I get. Like someone will be mad at me for something, and then they'll be like, "Why don't you pay your taxes?" And it's like I do pay my taxes. Like there's a misconception that like all First Nations people don't have to pay income tax. Um, or they'll be like, "Yeah, you got free education." It's like that's not how that works. Like I most definitely had to pay for my education, and like. Free houses is another one. I definitely have a mortgage on my home. Um, cheap vehicles. People think we get cheap vehicles. We do not. We save the Free tax. cigarettes? Um, yeah, is no, that that's not a thing. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. Hey, there's a misconception. Like... There's a misconception. There we go. Okay, answered Mike. There we go. Um, Perfect. My my biggest thing, though, is is now that we're talking more about Indigenous issues and like you're saying, okay, with the with the hockey game, there's a land acknowledgement and then people are mad that O Canada followed afterwards. It's almost like the pendulum is swinging and people are, are being um, they're, they're too much. Like, I don't want to say it's indigenous people doing cause it's not, but there's almost like this like gatekeepy feel. And I, I truly believe that it like kind of started when the liberal government took over and really made these big promises for indigenous people. They kind of acted like our saviors because now there's like this major misconception that like all indigenous people vote the same we all think the same, we all want the same things. And it's like, I don't know, it's really painful to deal with that. Okay. Mm, yeah. I have a question. So, so yeah, again, so this is so dumb. I, I'm answering my own questions here while I was thinking of how to formulate them. But basically, what do indigenous people want to achieve? Like if they had everything go their way, is it like their own, is it, is it their own country? Is it... Is it um, more more 
uh, a significant role in government. What is exactly their their desire? Oh, that's a really blanketed question because it's going to differ so much depending on who you ask. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, different. I don't even diff- know how to answer that one. Okay. It's okay. We got another three hours. No, no, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I want to wrap this up because she's been very, very uh, generous with her time. So um, I guess my question is, uh, and I'm, I'm stealing one of your questions here, Marge, but um, do you think that the Canadian government is doing enough when it comes to Indigenous people um, in terms of, you know, making September 30th and, uh, reconciliation and all of these things? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I don't think that they're doing enough. And I would never, ever sell Indigenous priorities short by saying that the government is doing enough because they're not. Mm. Um, in yeah. a multitude mm. of ways, um, we're still under the Indian Act, so we are still a government obligation and responsibility. Yeah. I look at like the 94 calls to action where a set of um, things were put out in terms of the government being able to fulfill them. And right now, where we're sitting, the 94 calls to action have been extremely slow moving. I believe it's the Yellowhead Institute that tracks this. And they put that in their latest report that it's going to take over 40 years for the government to complete those 94 calls to action, which is completely unacceptable. Um, Truth and Reconciliation Day was a call to action. So I know some people are like, well, it's really performative. And I mean, it is. It's a day that government employees get to pat themselves on the back. But at the same time, the hope with that day, I believe, was to bring people together to really understand the need for reconciliation. But the sad part is, is I go to events every Truth and Reconciliation Day, and I'm surrounded by Indigenous people, which I love to see. But the majority of government um, people and, and other people with the day off are not coming out to those events. So how are we advancing reconciliation when we can't even get people to participate in it? So I will... I will give a little bit of glimmer of hope here. So I'm in Vancouver and um, as Danny mentioned, I don't know, I can't speak for the East. I can't even really speak for the center of Canada, but I will speak a little bit for the West. I think it's, it's a little bit more progressive here um, during truth and reconciliation day. There are people and there will always be people all over the country that consider, Oh, I got a day off. Okay, whatever. And, and that's a shame. Um, but I've, I have been um, to events here as and I don't I don't really disclose what I do as, for work on here, but I would I don't know if I'd consider myself a government employee. Danny, would you consider me a government employee? How about you? You, you tell you tell people the, the same term that you told me. It was, it's a good vague term that, uh, that describes. I can't. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Anyways, public servant. <laughs> oh, there we go. I'm a, okay, there we go. I'm a public servant. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. But I could also just be <laughs> anything. Anyways, but anyways, over here, so in my in my area, um, which is not a huge city, but it's 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 definitely within the Vancouver uh, limits. Um, we, our local park does a really good job, and when I've gone to events on Truth and Reconciliation Day, um, there'll be Indigenous leaders and educators. Um, but it there's a lot of people that do show up, and it is really nice. Um, so these will be people that are you know are are visually you know. At, Ethnicity would be maybe European or or your your standard um, white Canadian, but I do find it quite um, nice to see. The only thing is, there's so many people that need support, but not enough people to support them. So what I mean by that is that like Indigenous educators, everyone expects. So what I the terminology I believe is extraction allyship. So they expect people to take. Like you, like indigenous educator, indigenous leader, you need to give me resources. You need to give me the information, but there's not enough people to to support all this. So um, it's really nice when there is, um, you know, a grand hall or something for us to all go to on that day. I I, I have had a great time, and and a lot of education has been, a lot of learning has been happening on those days. I do find it interesting though. So I I have gone to University of British Columbia recently as a student. And one topic, um, which I would like to ask you, is about land acknowledgements, because you did mention the term performative. What are your thoughts on land acknowledgements? And I'm quite interested to hear what you have to say about that. Me too. Um, it's tough. I think that it's nice to hear um, people reiterate the land that they're on. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I think if you want to actually participate in decolonization or 
um, participate in reconciliation, just doing a land acknowledgement is not enough. And it, it is it is performative, right? It's it's surface level activism. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, like, I mean, to me, in my mind, I'm like, if you're going to do a land acknowledgement, but not follow through with anything else that's participating in reconciliation, then yeah. you're not really helping. Yeah. 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 I, I will I say a feeling is, about this, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I'm just going to say the the gentleman who Danny was mentioning is around my age um, in Montreal. So uh, he was going to school around the same time I was going through secondary school. And um, we were already having land acknowledgements. Um, however, they were so like basically it was just the morning announcement on the PA system. Land acknowledgement. Here you go. And it was done so like there was no, nothing. There was no iteration. It was literally just reading off a piece of paper. And I find that we've gone to that, but now it's more repetitive. Um, I find personally for my land acknowledgements, if I were to do one, um, obviously have meaning to where you are and where you live, but do it when you actually. Um, so if you're doing a speech or something like that, um, like when I was at UBC, essentially we do it is okay okay the, your first time actually being is a peninsula so your first time actually being here as a different uh, nation um you know actually find meaning to your land acknowledgement and you don't have to do it every single day it's just understand the meaning of it and do it in important moments you don't have to you know because then it becomes performative and the people who consider it oh well it's performative it causes questions like okay well why do we even do them and i think that's going backwards so personally, I think I've got it figured it out to a point where I do respect it. And Danny did mention native, um, I think, yeah, native-land.ca. There is actually another website that I cannot for the life of me figure out because I just got a new computer and I lost all my bookmarks. But I would like to actually put it into our description if we do have slots for that. But um, there's, that's a good way of, of learning more about where you actually sit and live and work and all this stuff. So um yeah, that's about it for me. I think land acknowledges are a bit tricky, but we were doing it when I was in high school. And you can see in Montreal, they weren't really doing much. Okay. So hopefully it's kind of shifting uh, across the country a bit more. But who knows? I, I have no idea. I don't live over there. So Danny, anything else? Um, so again, uh, a little bit. I am so uncomfortable with this because I I, I want to sound you know uh, the best way possible here. But what are the what are some outstanding topics that are just untreated right now or they're they're left hanging, uh, Jennifer? When it comes to uh, things coming from the government, like we we saw maybe I think two years ago that the thing with the clean water, uh, we saw some broken promises as well for gas pipelines, uh, things like that. So what are things that that are hurting indigenous uh, communities that people are just not aware of? Um, I would say that the water crisis is one of the biggest. Yeah. Um, I think investing into mental health and addiction strategies on reserves is necessary as well. Those 94 calls to action need to be implemented and there needs to be priority for them. Um, I would say that's my top three. Okay, perfect. Um, one topic that you, you it kind of this is a this is kind of an Easter egg uh, thing. So uh, for those that follow you, uh, ha- have seen a video that you specifically made dedicated to a, a past prime minister, um, John Diefenbaker. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that that story? Because I think it's it's some, you know somewhat amusing, but at the same time, it's very impactful to what to the topic we just discussed here. Yeah, so Prime Minister Deepin Baker was um, an MP and Prime Minister from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, and he was also the Prime Minister that granted First Nations the right to vote without losing our treaty status, um, and he did it in, during a time when it wasn't popular to do so, but it was the right thing to do. Um, I'm a huge Deepin Baker fan for multiple reasons. Uh, my grandpa knew him personally and had good stories to tell, but I think one of the things I liked most about him was his his way of governing and also the way he connected with people. Um, the newspaper that I often have behind me in my videos um, talks about his last train ride because anyone that knew Dave Baker knew that he traveled across Canada by by railway and that's essentially how he went home with his with his coffin. And he would connect to people just across Canada and it was really good for Western Canadians. Like even when he was 
brought home um, on that train, it was during harvest time. So people in the communities were able to come out and, and say their last goodbyes to him. But huge fan of the way that he connected with people and um, granting us the right to vote. Sounds like a wonderful person. And yes, we do see that newspaper behind you in, in your videos. Um, we wanted to make sure that we feature that as well as the cover art on uh, on this episode. So uh, for those that are, don't know what we're talking about, uh, feel free to go see, uh, again, uh, Jennifer's content. She talks about that, among other things as well. Um, and again, uh, everything that has to do with the Indigenous topics, uh, they're all featured in a series um, in Jennifer's account uh, called Indigenous. Okay, um, March last two three minutes here. Let's uh, let's switch it back to a little bit of hockey. I know we talked a little bit about that, Jennifer. I'm not sure if you want to uh, announce your colors when it comes to hockey players and or hockey teams. Um, <laughs> are you of are are you a hockey person? Uh, do you watch hockey? I know you follow sports as a, a little bit as well. You know what? I'm not a huge hockey person. Like not on <laughs> TV. I will go to hockey games and have the best time ever. Um, we are a big WHL community. That's kind of the thing for people to do here. And there's a lot of community support behind our WHL team. Yeah. Um, when you asked me my Mount Rushmore of athletes, I had to ask my daughter. I was like, because I'm going to mess this up. <laughs> um, I'm a huge baseball Tiger person. Woods like, I, and, uh... <laughs> yeah, I could talk baseball all day, every day. Huge Blue Jays fan. Um, but for my daughter, I was like, hey, you need to give me because she's she could tell you she could talk for days. You need to get her on the podcast. Um, but yeah, she she knows it all. And I asked her what her um, Mount Rushmore was. And she said Wayne Gretzky, Jose Bautista, Tim Horton and Babe Ruth. So got some baseball players in there. And it's not bad. Um, yeah. So, and I know bad. she loves Austin good. Matthews because I had to try and get her a jersey last Christmas. And it was like next to impossible. Really? Austin Matthews? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. We went wow. into a store looking for just... sizes, couldn't find anything, had to order it online. And yeah, she's a huge Toronto Maple Leafs fan. I don't know why, but yeah. Yeah, I have to agree here. <laughs> well, maybe in the future, <laughs> March is going to end up being Arizona Coyotes fan. Uh, it's, a, it's an inside oh, yeah, joke true, because yeah. uh, Austin Matthews is from Arizona uh, with the Mexican oh, okay. heritage. And we think that uh, he won't sign, he won't stay with Toronto for a long time and he'll just go to uh, yeah, his yeah. hometown. So. He won't know. He likes the money too much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so what is uh, what, what is next for you? Well, you know, we talked about indigenous people. I don't want I don't want to lose this because it's a it's a it's actually pretty interesting. So people don't realize how many indigenous players there are in the NHL. Um, there's a lot of uh, Brian Trottier. There's a lot of uh, um, uh, a lot of players in the past as well. Right now, like mm-hmm. you know, he's a little bit inactive, but Carey Price is a, is a is a huge into that. And you know what? Like I wanted to mention this because even though we're over time here a little bit, I want to mention this because this is this is the prime example of what I meant earlier about the Montreal education system when it comes to Indigenous affairs. Um, Carey Price, okay, number one uh, goalie possibly in the league for a long time. He was the goaltender of the Canadians, which is, in my opinion, the mecca of hockey. And he was a very, very proud indigenous person. His mom is heavily involved. Um, I think she's a, I don't know what the term is, but I think she's she's a tribe leader or what, I, I'm not sure exactly how, how to describe her. Yeah, you should look her, look her up. She is, right? Um, and he is extremely proud of his heritage uh, in BC. I think around yeah. uh, just from where they're from in Anaheim Lake in BC. Exactly. Yeah. Um, his it's called Ul Katcho uh, First Nation. So mm-hmm. again, Kerry Price, he lived, he was there for 15 years. Canadians never did anything about Indigenous stuff, never. And that tells you pretty much everything you need to know about <laughs> the Quebec participation when it comes to this topic, in my opinion. Um, other players right now that are pretty popular, Zach White, White Cloud, uh, TJ Oshie, Brandon Montour, Travis Habenick, uh, a lot of players, a lot of players are from indigenous backgrounds. Um, and I got one more good news on, on this as well. The number of NHL prospects is, is almost equivalent to the ones that are active in the NHL. So we should be expecting more and more and more, uh, indigenous players, uh, join the NHL. So that's some um, that, that's some good hockey research right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, um, 
So what's next for you, Jennifer? What do you have planned for the rest of this year? I know you have something pretty cool potentially happening. So. Yeah, I'm actually heading um, out of town next week to do some work on some nations and then we'll be heading to Ottawa at the beginning of December for AFN, which is the um, annual general assembly that the um, AFN puts on. Uh, there will be an election of a new AFN chief during that time and then also hoping to do some networking with some MPs while I'm there as well. So, um, excellent. I can't wait to uh, for you to keep us posted on that. Um, and I'll finish off with this one, March. But uh, what is, Jennifer, one thing that you wish you more people knew about? Uh, and that can be concerning your uh, regarding your platforms or domestic or foreign politics or even the indigenous affairs. Um, what is one thing or two that you wish more people knew about? Um, I definitely think more people understood the diversity amongst indigenous people and that we have the right to our own vote. Um, that we don't all think the same. And then I think when it comes personally to me, I think I wish more people would know how easygoing I am. I think my Twitter kind of comes across as aggressive sometimes, but I am somebody that will hear all sides of the spectrum as long as I'm respected in return. Um, so hoping in my new year, my new year's resolutions to bring more nuance to my Twitter, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I just hope sometimes you never change. I just hope you never <laughs> sometimes, change. Sometimes it's hard with Twitter, but anyways. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, well, beautifully said. Um, I am personally done, March. I am so thankful for you, Mar uh, Jennifer, for making time to be with us today. Um, that is it for me. Okay, awesome. yeah. Thanks a lot, Jennifer, for coming on. I appreciate your time. I understand hopefully kids aren't causing too much trouble while you're with us. Um, <laughs> however, uh, just quickly before we end it, I uh, just want to mention if you would like to mention your social media platform uh, ats again, if you want to. Yeah, so TikTok and Twitter is Jennifer L, like Jennifer E-L-L-E -L -L -E underscore, and then my Instagram is Jennifer L with two underscores. So just say your name and put a bunch of underscores, you'll find it eventually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, you might well, find thanks, one of my, Sorry. Oh, you can go ahead. I was just going to say you might find one of my fake accounts because there's lots of those, but. Oh, yeah, she <laughs> posted about okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Oh Imposters. yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Imposters. Hey, that's when you know you've made it. <laughs> I don't. I unfortunately don't have any. Dan Danny's. You know, there's so many of them. Anyways. Okay. Thanks a lot, both of you and Jennifer. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. And that's it for me. And we'll just send us off here. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Guys. All right. See you, everybody. New episodes drop every week on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at C2C. THP.